are two sides to every story. There's the mainstream media side, and then there's the truth. You are experiencing the truth. The Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. And hour number two is underway at nine minutes past ten o'clock. Thanks again for joining us. It is a Tuesday, the 19th morning of the first month of the year of our Lord, 2021. And as it is a Tuesday, that, of course, is synonymous with Kersenau Day. Peter Kersenau is a member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights for the time being of the 1776 Presidential Commission. He is also a Cleveland attorney, a best-selling author. He is the host of the Kersenau Report, and he's our Tuesday guest on AM 1420. The answer, Peter, good morning, sir. How are you? Doing pretty well, you know. Um, I uh, did watch the Browns game. I was uh, impressed uh, because I thought they couldn't stay on the field with uh, the defending Super Bowl champs. And I have to say, as somebody who's watched football for half more than half a century, I think maybe the dumbest rule in the NFL, one that I've forgotten about because it's rarely invoked, is when somebody fumbles into the end zone, it's a touchback for the other team. It's the screwiest rule imaginable. I, can't, I, can't, I don't understand the rationale behind it. And you could argue, of course, you know, everybody does this in retrospect, but you could argue that, but for that, the Browns would have won. Yeah, I'm not going to argue that. I'm not going I'm not, I'm not to make that argument. No, I think, that's, I think that's a loser's mentality that I have heard for the last 48 hours that I just cannot stand, to be honest with you. Is it a terrible rule? Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, it's ridiculous, in fact. But to say that, but for that, they would have won, I'm not going to be it. They had a chance to stop Chad Henney. Chad Henney, a 13-year veteran with a career total of, I want to say, 62 touchdowns and 60 interceptions, uh, a guy who has been a backup his entire life. They had to stop Chad Henney and could not. Uh, one could argue that but for Patrick Mahomes being knocked out of the game, they would have hung 40 on the Browns because in every possession that he guided, they scored points, either touchdowns or field goals. If he plays the entire second half, it may not even be you know uh, close to a contest. So, uh, be, I think the Browns should be proud of a great season. They got a great coach now. They got a great quarterback now, uh, who's not named Sam Darnold, by the way. And uh, they should look to the future. But I'm not going to sit here and say, "Oh, that rule that cost them the game." I'm not buying that stuff. That's losers' mentality. Well, I'm not saying it cost them the game, but I am saying that's the dumbest mm-hmm. rule imaginable. I can't Agree understand that. that rule at all. I, it's just mind-boggling to me. What should they do, by the way? Well, well, I think at best, first of all, let's you know if somebody drives 90 yards down the field and then happens to fumble into the end zone, not recovered by the opposing team. Out of the end zone, not into, out of the end zone. It's got to go out of the end end zone. zone. Right, Right, exactly. Then at bare minimum, maybe you penalize the fumbling team, five five yards, ten yards, but you don't give it to the other team and and then give them 20 yards on top of that. It's It's just nonsensical. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Yeah, it's it's always been a rule. I don't. It's not something that's new, right? I mean, this has been no, since the beginning. Of, yeah, since the beginning of time. I think they've said if you fumble and the other team recovers it in the end zone, uh, uh, you know, it's their ball. Uh, if you recover it in the end zone, it's a touchdown. If it goes out of bounds before it gets the end zone, you get it right where it is. But if nobody recovers it and it goes through, you you know, you don't get the ball anymore. The other team gets the ball. I don't understand it, but I know it's always been a rule. And for anybody, you know, like I said, who's uh, you know who's watched football for as long as you have and I have, you know, we've always known it to be a terrible rule. It didn't just start to become one when the Browns got, uh, you know, when the Browns were hurt by it. So, yeah. Anyway, uh, I was less than interested in the game anyway, just because I'm still so disgusted by the NFL. But that being said, let's move on. Pete, um, I want to start 
in a place that you and I often talk about. We talk about matters of race because you do such great work on the Civil Rights Commission on matters of race. Um, Steve Cohen is a member of the House of Representatives. He's a Democrat, and he has chosen to malign all National Guardsmen in general, but specifically white National Guardsmen, by suggesting that those who are among the twenty-five to 26,000 Guardsmen protecting the inauguration tomorrow, you should be presumed to be um, uh, capable of insurrection and presumed to be capable of sedition because of your skin color. His argument is that since 90% of, of, of uh, white men voted for, and, well, hold on, let me see if I can get his exact speech here, or rather the uh, exact uh, statements that he made, but it's something to the tune of 90-some-odd percent male. Oh, here it is. The guard is 90% male, and only about 20% of white males voted for Biden. Therefore, white male guardsmen are going to be Trump voters, and therefore they are they should be screened and should be vetted uh, twice over because they might they should be considered threats to the to the inauguration or to the safety of those at the inauguration. Pete, I mean, I know they're trying very hard to continue with identity politics, and I know it works for them. But I'm going to do whataboutism. If a Republican member of Congress had suggested that black guardsmen who might be loyal to Obama and thus not worthy of of guarding the Capitol in in, in the inauguration of Donald Trump, um, what would happen to that 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 uh, congressman, Pete? And what should happen to Steve Cohen here now for saying the exact thing in reverse? One of the reasons I think that Democrats get away with saying just insane things like that is because there are no consequences to them. The media covers for them. If a Republican had said something remotely similar to that, that Republican would be, of course, he'd be castigated, censored, whatever it may be, lose book deals, have hotels prohibit gatherings in his name for fundraisers or anything of that nature, uh, suspend Twitter accounts, and then probably lose an ensuing election because of all the media program that is directed toward him. But because of that double standard, what we hear from Democrats and progressives all the time are inane statements like that. But more than just inane, Bob, I mean, your entire listening audience knows by now, because this is something that's been going on for so long, we see it so often, it's almost tiresome, that no consequences will be visited upon Cohen because of this, but it's extremely poisonous. It's toxic, and it's further dividing the country. Yes, it divided the country in the past when things like that were said, but we're at a point now that is truly perilous. A number of commentators have said, and I concur, that we have not been in a more dangerous position as a society, as a country, than we are right now since at minimum, again, it's a trope, but the Civil War. We are we are being rent asunder by this identitarian politics that we're seeing over and over again. First of all, the presumption that somehow <clears throat> white males, because they voted for Trump, are particularly hazardous to Biden is the nuttiest thing in the world. These individuals, one of the things about Trump voters is, um, and to the extent, I'm not necessarily saying that, you know, the National Guard is 90% or 90% of, of white males voted for Trump, therefore X, Y, and Z. But what I'm saying is Trump voters, and this is the truth, regardless of what the media says, Trump voters are the voters who stand for the rule of law. Trump voters now are the voters who don't want someone judged by the color of their skin, but rather the content of their character. And that's been completely upended by the Democratic Party. 
everything, it seems now, is about identity. They count by race and they count by sex and sexual identity. And it's dividing the country in one of the most appalling fashions, not one of the most, the most appalling fa- uh, fashion um, in at least a century, at least in my lifetime. And we've never seen a division like this again since the Civil War. This is not good for the country. But more important is that what does it say to anybody who serves this country that a politician will characterize them in that fashion. This politician is sitting up there pontificating. Depending on the color of their skin, though, Pete. Depending upon, and that's what makes this so egregious. You know, it's not just all the guardsmen should be vetted, et cetera, et cetera. It's specifically if you are white, because then you can be presumed to be a Trump voter. And as such, Trump voters, as we know, are racist. You might be a threat to everybody up there during that inauguration. And that's the part of this that is just so, you know, confounding, is is they can say that about white people, that anti-white racism is allowed to be spewed from the uh, the halls of congress for crying out loud but anything even remotely uh relative to that in in uh, you know to to a person of another skin color would be grounds for removal everything that they say is absurd on its face listen to almost every statement public statement that's come from them at least since the election everything is about race and racism You know, if you say it's going to be sunny and 70 degrees today, that's racist. If you say that the Browns are going to win, that's racist. Everything is racist. It has gotten so absurd that I do think, at least I'm hopeful, that the American people, and I'm not talking about your listeners or, you know, even 30 to 40 percent of Trump voters, but the American people in general will look at this and start to say, this is nuts. I do think there is going to be a backlash. I think that they have gone so far to the left and have said so many stupid things just since the election that a number of people who may have voted for Biden or at least against Trump for whatever reason, maybe maybe they just don't like the way he tweets, maybe they hope that it augurs a return to normalcy, whatever the reason is, they're going to look at this and they're going to think about their families, their co-workers, their friends, and say, that doesn't resemble anybody I know, what they're saying about my friends, co-workers, and family. Uh, And I also know that, in general, I love the United States of America. Okay, maybe I'm not the greatest historian in the world, I don't know all the reasons why the United States of America is the greatest, but boy, it's a really good country to live in. Everyone in the world tries desperately to get here and you know what i've made myself a pretty good life and based on the little bit of history that i know it tells me it's the greatest nation that ever existed and they're going to resent this constant deprecation of not just the united states but those people and institutions that make it great including national guardsmen including white national guardsmen including everybody in america and i think and i'm speaking for myself i think I'm, i'm pretty indicative of what most of the population is we just want to live our lives in normalcy and not having, having it riven constantly by matters of identity. And for Cohen to shove this stupidity down our throats is appalling, and I'm hopeful voters in his district will say, enough of this stupidity. Aside from whether or well, not I and, agree with it, this is just and, dumb. And, and Pete, you know, in other words, what you're saying is you have a dream. And and it's ironic, not, that Steve Cohen made these remarks uh, on Martin Luther King Day, in which, it, you know, of course, we always talk about, not that Martin Luther King didn't make many speeches and write many letters, clearly he did, but, but the dream speech, of course, was for people to be seen as uh, uh, based on their character, not on their color. And Steve Cohen and the rest of the liberal Democrats who live on the power of identity politics refuses to allow us to ever become a colorblind society. Everyone 
one must be judged by the pigment or lack thereof in their skin. And that's exactly the opposite of what Martin Luther King stood for and spoke of and dreamt of. And on the day that we commemorate his life yesterday and his legacy as a civil rights pioneer, they bastardized everything that he stood for. Uh, I'll let that sit for a second here, Peter. We'll come right back and talk about the Biden agenda coming up on AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, it's 1025. Peter Kirsten now continues with us on AM 1420, The Answer. Now, Pete, I want to talk about the Biden agenda day one, and whether that's tomorrow or Thursday is irrelevant, but we know what his agenda is. Um, he is going to immediately push for amnesty with an eight-year path for citizenship, shorter for those who are in the DACA program, but for uh, between 11 and 20 million illegal aliens. Amnesty and voting rights. He's going to kill the permits for the Keystone Pipeline, which helped make us energy independent and net exporters for the first time in American history. He is going to rejoin the Paris Accords, Climate Accords, which, of course, is going to cost us Lord knows how many billions of dollars. He is going to institute a mask mandate on all Americans, on all federal property, or if they are federal employees. And he is going to uh, uh, push for a $15 federal minimum wage. Um, Pete, you can pick out of that list of things on his day one agenda if you wish, or you can speak to the overall agenda um, uh, however you want. But uh, all I know is that we have gone from a man who put America first to quite simply and literally somebody who said America last. Go ahead. Yeah, well, I'd like to make a general observation, and that is the people of the United States of America didn't vote on any of this. Consider that during the eight months of the presidential election, including the primaries and the general election, Joe Biden was in a basement. No policy prescriptions were broadly communicated to the American people. This was all about, you must hate Trump, you must vote against Trump, Trump is a racist, you know, we got riots all over the place, and only a Democrat can quell the riots. These Things were not something anybody voted for. And that's the media's fault also because they covered up the fact, not just of the, you know, China, uh, uh, Biden, Hunter Biden's laptop, but they covered up the idiocy of his manifest policy proposals. You heard virtually nothing of this during the general election. That's one thing. Number two is once you do absorb any of the discrete aspects of the, these policy pr- proposals or them in the aggregate, they are harmful and even punitive to Americans. Why do this to Americans? We now have copious evidence that every single one of these policy proposals will have a negative effect on Americans. Let's just take the easiest one, and that is a raise in the minimum wage. As I've said for 30 years, a wage, minimum or otherwise, presumes a job. The greatest job-killing mandate or regulation there is, is a mandate for a minimum wage that distorts market forces. And who does it hurt the most? Of course, those at the bottom of the economic ladder, those that are affected by the minimum wage and are priced out of jobs. And who does it in a subset affect most? Black Americans, reportedly the most loyal uh, constituency of the Democratic Party. By the way, one of the things why reason why you keep hearing about race and identity politics, and you heard the stupidity from Steve Cohen, is the Democrats know they've done the counting. Regardless of what you hear from the media, Trump ex- expanded his vote among blacks and Hispanics by his. 
historic numbers, historic numbers. Yes, we know he lost. Of course, you know, and you're not allowed to question how he lost, of course. Somehow, Trump is the first Republican to exponentially expand his base among blacks and Hispanics and still loses to a guy who's campaigning in his basement and you're nothing whatsoever from him. That being said, minimum wage is going to harm the economy. It's going to hurt the lowest rank of um, uh, wage earners. But the when you compound that with the amnesty to illegal aliens, we already know caravans are on their way to the southern border. They're only going to increase. And as I've said on your show and elsewhere numerous times, the data is unequivocal. Massive increases or just increases in illegal immigration harm the same people that in a massive increase in the minimum wage harms. That is lower class, lower-rung Americans, disproportionately black. As I've said on your program and elsewhere, we've had hearings on this before the Civil Rights Commission. We've adduced copious evidence showing that just a, uh, let me talk about minimum wage, a 10% increase in the minimum wage will result in hundreds of thousands of black Americans losing jobs. This is more than a 10% increase, obviously. And also that a million over the course of the last 20 years prior to Trump, over a million blacks either lost jobs or didn't acquire jobs because of competition from illegal immigrants who can be paid less, sometimes are, are subject to substandard working conditions because they don't complain to OSHA or they don't complain to the Fair Labor Standard, uh, the, the, the uh, our Division of the Department of Labor, so on and so forth. This is a job-killing agenda. It hurts the very people they purport to champion. And, and Pete- there's... A, no, I'm sorry, finishing that last thought. I just wanted to get a, a final thought in the Yeah, and there's here. a reason for that. The more those individuals are hurt, the more the Democrats and their media allies will continue to say, we need more of this to help you. This They want to keep blacks and lower-income Americans and Hispanics in a desperate situation so they can keep throwing at them ridiculous policy prescriptions, claiming that Republicans are racist for not wanting to give you this $15 an hour minimum wage that's going to ensure that you lose your job. Meanwhile, it was the Republican administration of Donald Trump that led to the lowest unemployment rate, uh, unemployment rate for the same people you're talking about, yep. African Americans, in the history of this country. And yet, and yet, 88% of black America voted for Harris Biden. President Trump got 12% of the vote, which is more than the 8% he got uh, the first time around. But still, despite knowing full well what you just described, it's the same policy prescription that Obama and Biden used that led to terrible, terrible uh, employment records for blacks and wages for blacks. All of that reversed under Donald Trump. And what did they do? They voted to return to the very same bottom of the socioeconomic ladder that they were at under Biden or under Obama, rather. More from Kirsten now, right after this on AM 1420 The Answer. Can't you see? Progressive Democrats, please be aware you have now entered the place where political correctness goes to die. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Okay, 1036 now. We've got one more segment left with Peter Kersenow on AM 1420, The Answer. A lot of uh, stuff to do here. 
Pete, I want to. I could go to the inauguration. I could go to the impeachment, and I could go to the ridiculous um, uh, votes that were made by ten Republicans to go along with the Democrats' political uh, impeachment. That's all this was. A thousand percent. It's about political retribution because they still cannot stand the fact or accept the fact that Donald Trump won in 2016. But instead, I'm going to go to what we do going forward to combat leftism and the damage that it can do if we don't have the freedom of speech. And that means the freedom not just to say things, but to have it heard by other people, by uh, being able to communicate with them through the Internet, which is the broadcast medium of the day, Um, being able to communicate, coordinate, have groups, uh, organize uh, rallies, uh, parades or, or protests or anything else that the left is able to do. And Pete, it's one thing for us to talk about what, which we did last week, and that is the uh, big tech censors cracking down on parlor on the internet. Now we're going to the straight up airwaves. CNN has gone out of their way to tell Democratic lawmakers that it is in the country's best interest if they cancel uh, or, or force cable companies to cancel the streaming of OAN, One America News, and Newsmax into the homes of millions of Americans. In their mind, uh, those networks or those, uh, those cable outlets, like Fox, um, are spewing misinformation and lies. Now, try to hold your laughter about CNN accusing anybody else of lying. But they are. Um, and Democrats are listening um, you and I have talked about the FCC when it comes to broadcast radio before. We've talked about the fairness doctrine. I know you're very well versed in that. Um, I don't know that there's ever been a stronger movement to silence dissent among conservatives than we have seen right now because of what happened on January 6th. You know, they've often said they don't like lies and misinformation, which, of course, is just things they don't agree with. But now they're saying that those lies and misinformation led to an insurrection on the Capitol. Therefore, in the interest of national safety and security, these particular avenues of misinformation must be shut down. Um, Pete, from a, from a civil rights standpoint to a constitutional standpoint, um, to a free speech standpoint, specifically in the Constitution, um, how do you see this? Yeah, there, we need about 18 hours to describe all the reasons why that's not just dangerous, but potentially unlawful in many aspects, and it's certainly un-American. Are we allowed to say that anymore, un-American? The fact that this is even being proposed from any quarter, whether it be from the government, whether it be from MSNBC or any place, is astonishing here in 2021. But we've been creeping toward this for quite some time, and unfortunately, we have a host of purported conservatives and Republicans who seem to be joining along with this. This is so existentially dangerous to the United States of America. It goes to the essence of the United States of America and why we are who we are. To even where the impingements on free speech don't technically violate the law or or violate the First Amendment, they are against American traditions and in practice and effect, they're dangerous to the American polity. You think about Let me back up for a second. Yesterday, the 1776 Commission on which I I sit issued its first report, and you said in your intro you don't know how long it's going to last because more than likely the Biden administration is going to shut it down. Why? Because we are 
talking about the true rendition of history and not one that's politically useful for one side or another. And as can be expected, of course, the usual hacks come out immediately. They didn't do so in the Freudland 1619 project when that was issued and is promulgating throughout uh, our classrooms throughout the country, but they were poised to come out to attack the first 1776 commission report because they want distortions about America. They cannot survive without a misrepresentation of what the United States is all about. So they perpetuate these lies. I said last week, I commended to your readership a relatively brief essay, at least for Solzhenitsyn, by Alexander Solzhenitsyn saying, live not by lies. All the consequences that flow from living by lies today, more so than at any point even remotely close in the history of the United States, we are living by lies. The media knowingly tells lies, knowingly suppresses the truth. And when they don't tell lies, they distort things or cover things in a fashion to give you a skewed perspective. You can't make rational decisions on that basis. The very fact that we have an infirm, mentally challenged president right now is indicative of that. And that's not, that, that is the truth. Joe Biden is not up to the task of being president of the United States. He's in cognitive decline, and he was never that cognitive to begin with. But this is what we're faced with, and we're faced with somebody who's springing upon us policies that he never once talked about broadly during the course of the campaign, as I indicated at the outset. He was in his basement most of the time. So the suppression of speech leads to disinformation and lies, the opposite of what the um, you know the the mainstream media and the Democrats are talking about right now, but they are the ones suppressing the truth, suppressing speech, and when that happens, as I said last week, there is a pressure cooker that develops. I hope that nothing happens, but it is prime recipe for continued dislocation, political dislocation and unrest. This is the opposite of what a sane political structure would do in the face of the kind of, well, the the upset that was visited upon the populace throughout the electoral cycle. This is very, very dangerous from a host of perspectives, but most importantly, not most importantly, an important aspect of this is what it does to our kids who have, they're not being grounded in the essence of the American ideal, what our principles are about, what our laws about, what our history is about. And if you don't know what your history is, you're going to go off into some ridiculous direction. And that's precisely, unfortunately, what the left wants. The left knows that they can't achieve their policy aims if we are grounded in the great history of the United States of America. So they distort it, and now this is what we're getting. We're getting all kinds of of distortions. The fact that up is down, black is white is basically what we're getting almost on a daily basis today, to the extent to which they're covering anything of importance, whether it's China, whether it's this Keystone Pipeline shutdown, with the minimum wage, with with this this inflammatory reliance upon identity politics, uh, we are in for a tough few years, and it's not going to be good. I mean, look, as you just indicated, under President Trump, we have had the greatest economy of our lifetimes, perhaps since the last 70 years, uh, on a host of measures. And they are punitively reversing these simply because Trump supported them. People have been flourishing under Trump, despite what the media tries to tell you or what they fail to report. 
And now they're going to do the same dumb things. And I wish I could come up with a greater uh, adjective, uh, a better adjective, a less inflammatory adjective, but they're going to be doing the same dumb things that got us into trouble in the past. And this time, there's going to be less room or less margin for error. That's because we are now 20, I don't even know how many trillions, I've lost count in debt, no fault of President Trump. He was trying to ameliorate the effect of coronavirus, and everybody was doing that. 400 million jobs have been lost worldwide. But we have been spending lots of money, and there are consequences to that. And we should be prudent in our policy options going forward. But that's not what the Biden folks are doing. They're compounding this problem. Rather than trying to rectify the consequences of this incredible explosion in debt, they are adding to it. We are, you know, you can't even begin to describe the the risk and the peril that we're going to be facing on a host of fronts in the next several years. Pete, um, is there a fear, a legitimate fear that what the left wants to do here can actually happen? That, I mean, if they can do this to parlor, you know, and that's the most frustrating thing. Those of us who complained about and I know you were way too smart, way ahead of the game to even get on social media. You and I have talked about this. Um, but for those who were on it, conservative voices who were on it, complaining about being banned, shadow banned, have their, having their accounts suspended, restricted, limited, having followers taken away from them so nobody can see what they have to say. Anytime we would complain, the left would say, if you don't like it, you don't have to be on it. Go build your own platform because this is a private company. And they were right. And so their own companies were built, or rather, a new company was built, and that was Parler. And then they conspired with the rest of their tech Silicon Valley friends to shut down that which was built. Same thing here when it comes to broadcast news. Fox was developed and started because there was such a blatant hypocrisy and a blatant bias in the presentation of news on mainstream news networks and cable networks like CNN. Um, since Fox's success, of course, you know, uh, it has spawned OAN, One American News, and Newsmax Television. We don't like what we're seeing over there, so we built our own, is essentially what is being said. And now they're literally calling for that to be destroyed, just like Parler was. So my long-winded question here is, is, is there a chance from a legal standpoint that the government, run by the Democrats in all aspects in the next two years, can, in, an, in, a, in a move, and they'll argue for national security, can they shutter the the businesses that were started to compete with the mainstream network news? Practically, yes, but effectively, the, the the law would not permit them to do so for a host of reasons. That not that that's stopped the left in the past, but I can't see how they can do that practically. Frankly, I think okay. you know right now we're seeing a troublesome development with respect to. Uh, the uh, shutdown of Internet access and platforming of various institutions, of senators, of, of conservatives generally, I think that's going to have a backlash. I think it will probably correct itself, but the thing is, time is of the essence to do so before we lose so many of our rights, and it's going to be extremely difficult to get them back practically lose them and it's extraordinary that we're even discussing this today it's just it's just, it's mind-boggling for most americans who have been enjoying free speech and never thought it would seriously be, be under attack but i do think that there's an, an incredible there's 
number of legal challenges that could be brought, but there's an incredible market opportunity here. Maybe a Donald Trump fills it. You know, if Donald Trump decided to create his own media company in rivalry to Twitter and Facebook and everything else, I'm sure that it would explode tremendously. But there are existing organizations, too, or existing enterprises that could do the same thing, and many of them are benefiting from, from what I understand, Newsmax and OAN are seeing explosive increases in um, viewership, readership, etc. Fox... Uh, at least their daytime programming has taken a tumble, mainly because I think most people were really upset with they what they believe to be skewed coverage of the presidential election. Their prime time is doing okay. Uh, the the folks that are speaking to Americans and are not spouting a bunch of Democratic talking points. But to your point, there are legal avenues to redress this. Those take time, and unfortunately, we've got um, the the zeitgeist now is from a political and a legal standpoint, because a lot of lawyers are afraid to do these kinds of things. A lot of lawyers, you know, again, I, I point to some of the lawyers we've talked about who've been booted from their uh, firms because they dared to represent conservatives or to support the president. You've got companies that are woke and don't want to do this. That's why I do think, however, there's a vacuum there. And there's a vacuum that can be exploited. And there are people who I think are making the moves right now to build platforms, media enterprises that form an alternative. Having said that, that is really unfortunate, that we have to have two- or three-tiered system to impart knowledge and information to the American people in an unbiased fashion. That is is just so distressing to Americans that we can't rely on... Frankly, sometimes I sit there, and I think your your readers or viewers or listeners think the same thing. You sit there, and you're being told things you know are false because you've observed with your own eyes and heard with your own ears what the true facts were. You were there when certain things happening happened, and you see the media telling you, they're, they're saying, don't believe your own lying eyes. It's truly an extraordinary thing. I know, Bob, you've done a great job talking about all the instances. You can't even talk about the possibility of voter fraud, despite the fact, or the legitimacy of Biden's victory, despite the fact that for four years we've heard nothing but the illegitimacy of Trump's election, supposedly, from the left. With impunity, they even launch investigations. They have hearings on this stuff, and and Hillary Clinton was wandering around with a bottle of wine in the woods for more than a year saying she's the rightful president. But now, if you say, you know, I've got some doubts about uh, whether or not the the election was completely regular, my goodness, you get suspended, you get deplatformed, you get fired from your job. This is Soviet, and I've said it before. We're at an incipient stage right now. It seems pretty far along because we have enjoyed free speech for such a long time. But the benchmark is not, you know, whether or not it's completely suppressed. It's where we are in the cycle of losing our free speech rights. And... People from former Eastern Bloc countries will tell you, do not go down this path. They see too many echoes of that from which they escaped. That's not an exaggeration, because when you've got a Steve Cohen going on MSNBC without challenge and challenging the patriotism of 80, 90 percent of the National Guard, when you've got suppression of speech being championed by media folks who apparently are not bright enough to understand that, you know what, the worm can turn at any time. This is extraordinary. It's dangerous. We must resist it at all costs. This is the true resistance. Yeah, this is exactly what has to happen here. And I hate to borrow that word that they used against President Trump, but we do. We have to put forth a resistance. And we'll talk about how to do that uh, coming up again next week. Peter Kirsten, thank you, my friend. Take care, Bob. 
All right, that's Kirsten now on AM 1420, The Answer. Great conversation, as always. We'll uh, wrap it up right after this on AM 1420, The Answer. All right, 1055, AM 1420, The Answer. Great uh, hour with Peter Kirsten now, or almost a full hour. Obviously, a lot to digest with uh, some of the things that he said. We'll uh, try to do that on tomorrow's program. We will be on the air. We will not be carrying. We will not be giving you any previews or any updates or anything else uh, uh, of the inauguration. It is an illegal uh, inauguration in my point of view, from my point of view. It is something I will not participate in, and it is something I will not recognize. I will recognize the president and the vice president because uh, the law dictates I must, but I will not give it airtime. Uh, that is just not something I'm going to do. I'm not going to reward theft with uh, the spoils of victory. Uh, we will, however, talk about what is going to happen to this country once they actually take office and set about to advancing their radical, wild, progressive, socialist, slash communist agenda. This I can promise you on tomorrow's program. For now, let's go to TJ, who's calling from Cleveland on AM 1420, The Answer. Hey, TJ, go right ahead. Yeah, hi, Bob. You know, last night I heard uh, some libtard at the New York Times actually said, we have to take the children away from Trump, you know, voters, and deprogram them. Now, we knew they were coming for our guns. Now they're threatening to come for our children. As far as I'm concerned, Bob, this is a bridge too far for me. This is really bad, you know, what these people are threatening and what they're talking about. They're going to come and confiscate our children because we don't agree with their politics who the hell are these demon bastards, if I can say so? Well, they've uh, they've come for our kids and have been coming for our kids for a very long time by way of the eight hours a day that they have them without parental supervision, and they have them in the schools. Uh, and that, of course, is just the beginning. And uh, and thank you, TJ, for the phone call. The uh, the issue here is is not a new one. They want to enact. This is something that. You know, the Marxists at Black Lives Matter made very clear in their mission statement, the one that they eventually removed um, from their website because they knew it was wrong for them to advertise it because they were getting all kinds of pushback. But they literally declared in their mission statement that they want to disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure. They want a society in which The children are raised by the community. They're raised by the village, if you will, and not by the parents, because then if the parents raise them, then they have no control over the thought processes of these kids. If the village raises the kids, they can be indeed indoctrinated with the full-on socialist communist principles by which, or in the case of Black Lives Matter, the Marxist principles, and they're all very closely interrelated, as you know, um that uh, those principles can be internated into these kids. So I'm not surprised by it, TJ. Uh, I am, if anything, I'm surprised it has taken this long because it has been a very, very rapid march toward taking your kids away from you ideologically, emotionally, and uh, what's to stop it from becoming physically. Make no mistake about it. This is This is the agenda. How do you win the future? You win the youth. How do you win the youth? You take the youth and you induct and you uh, deprogram if, them, if you will, and, and uh, you indoctrinate them. 
All right. Thanks to uh, Peter Kirsten, our guest. Thanks to our crew, Derek and Marcy, for running the show today. Thanks to you for listening. Looking forward to talking to you tomorrow about anything and everything except the inauguration here on AM 1420, The Answer. Stay where you are. Mike Gallagher's next. We'll see you. Bye-bye. Enjoy the silence.